Good morning and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we are in Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 32. I'm going to take a minute to uh, read that passage before we get started this morning. Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 32. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It is it has been said, if anyone who divorce, anyone who divorces his wife must be given a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I have not been looking forward to covering this passage in the Sermon on the Mount. There's... Uh, Jesus has some very hard teaching here, and I've, I've seen this passage weaponized in a lot of ways that are very dangerous. Um, I, th- I think anytime we're, we're trying to use scripture against someone else, uh, that's probably a dangerous lens of interpretation. Uh, scripture should, first and foremost, be used for conviction for ourselves. Uh, but there's a couple of disclaimers I want to uh, to give as we get into this passage. Over the years, um, as a minister, I've had people come to me and as as a as someone who studies the Bible with great regularity. I I have people who have come to me and said, "Hey, can you give me uh, what the biblical means of divorce is?" And and I don't want to get uh, too far into this, but I, I got to where I often told people that if they were looking for a biblical ground for divorce, they would probably figure one out. Uh, and what I mean by that is uh, when someone's searching scriptures for a way out of their marriage, they're, they're already out of their marriage, um, and they're just looking to justify getting out. Uh, and so we then find ways to weaponize scripture in unhealthy ways. Um, I don't want to get in, there's a lot of nuances in there I don't really want to get into, but I do want to give one or a couple of disclaimers on this passage. First, um, Jesus says, don't commit adultery. And I tell you that anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, straightforward, um, literal readings of the text people have jumped to okay well if you look lustfully at a woman you've committed adultery uh, therefore you have grounds for divorce and what i want to be careful with here is we don't apply the same logic um, to jesus's passage on murder where he basically says if you've uh, had anger in your heart then you've already committed murder and again, Jesus is talking about a a spectrum of of struggle. You're you're not going to have in the same way we talked about uh, name calling, murder, 
in that spectrum, uh, Jesus is saying you can't have adultery if you don't have lust. Um, if you have that lingering look at someone, that eventually turns to action. Action eventually turns to uh, adultery. And, and so, again, Jesus is, is aiming at the heart issue that develops. And he's saying, don't, don't just worry about the outward appearances, but, but let's look at the heart. Uh, so I, I want to get into that a little bit more. But So the first disclaimer is um, don't, don't weaponize this passage. Uh, internalize it and look at the heart issue that Jesus is addressing. The, the second disclaimer is uh, this passage, less so probably in my tradition, but in other traditions, has led to uh, extreme asceticism. Um, they That a person abuses themselves to, to give a show of outward piety. Um, we need to recognize that Jesus is using hyperbolic language. Um, he's showing the severity of to what extent we need to protect ourselves. Um, this is not a one again. Don't re don't use this as a weaponized text to then tell someone they need to you know cut off their hand or cut out their eye. Um, and this is not. You know, this is not a punishment you give yourself, but he's saying, cut the source off. Uh, men, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to speak to women on this, um, but men, I know, if you cut out both your eyes, you'd still find ways to imagine, because you've already seen stuff. Uh, if you've dabbled in pornography at all. You can cut out both your eyes, and you're still going to struggle with lust. Um, and, and so this is not a, okay, this is how you fix it. What Jesus is saying is, hey, it's better to remove, it's better to go maimed into heaven than to continue with the struggles you're having. Um, and so he's using hyperbolic language um, that, that we need to be careful of, and uh, in literal interpretations. Uh, the context of the Sermon on the Mount uh, is, is calling us into a certain way of life as a community where we um, support one another, where we help one another, uh, but, but ultimately we're, we're called to live this out in a way to be salt and light in the world. And uh, sex is a beautiful thing God has given us. Um, God intended sex to be good. There, there are times in history where the church has presented sex to be bad. Um, and there's a whole history of that going back to Augustine. But I, I, I want to get into all that. But what I want to look at is uh, sex has been uh, cheapened in our culture. And, and really, this is, this is nothing new. This has been around for since the beginning uh, of the, since after the fall that sex has been cheapened to fulfilling self, one's own selfish desires and has been cheapened to uh, how do I get mine, how do I um, receive what I want to receive. And and this is, um, in a lot of marriages, has been, become uh, contractional. And, uh, and, and it's a, 
our culture has cheapened it in such a way that we objectify women, we objectify, I mean, really, we even objectify men, we objectify uh, relationships, and we miss out on the beautiful thing that God has created uh, in sex, where it brings uh, two people together in the most intimate of connections. And culture has cheapened that to fulfilling one's own selfish desires. Uh, I'm trying not to be crass in how I say some of these things. Uh, and so Jesus is addressing the, the issue of, of cheapening God's beautiful gift to, to something where, uh, where we're abusing other people. And we have to be careful with how, that's, how we approach this. That, uh, that in a world that is cheap in sex, we have to live uh, as, as people that, that lift up what, what sex is supposed to be. Um, I always want to be careful when, when we're presenting the church as standing against. And we need to look more at what we're standing for. And so uh, and the only messages I heard growing up in the church, sex is bad, stay away from it, don't do it. And then uh, in a lot of the books I've read and a lot of the conversations I've had uh, in ministry, we, we've actually, the purity culture is presented quite the problem that, that it's, you're supposed to say bad, 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 bad until your wedding night and all of a sudden you're supposed to flip a switch and be okay with it. And so there's a certain level of the church has got to develop better language and and how we talk about these things that we you know what do we stand for what what is the beauty of this and uh, this is really a different topic for a, a different time but the ancient world sexual promiscuity was was on run rampant and jewish ethic actually stood against the roman world where uh, specifically men were permitted to do anything and everything they wanted to fulfill desire when I say anything and everything, I mean use your imagination and then take it three steps further. Uh, there, are, there are all kinds of temples for any kind of prostitution you might want to find. Um, there were public orgies. There were, um, you know, cover your kids' ears. Uh, but there are certain lines that you could, uh, that they drew in culture about what kind of relationships you had with children before puberty, once a child hit puberty, let them grow up and become a man. And so there, there's kind of these crazy um, sexual practices in the ancient world that, you know, anytime Paul is speaking, or most of the time when Paul's speaking about sexual ethics, he's actually liberating women because he's holding men to an ethic uh, that, that women were often held to. And because he's he's not uh, prudish, he's not uh, this some Puritan or something, but because he sees the beauty um, of what God created in sex, and he's calling men to uphold that. Uh, he also sees how men are abusing women in the ancient world and how they're abusing their families. <clears throat> and so he's, you know, a lot of the things that are considered oppressive in Paul are actually liberating uh, for preserving the sanctity of the sexual relationships that that married couples should share together. Um, and again, that's a whole different conversation. But I'm just trying to give a, a context for sexual ethic, that this is not 
this purity culture that that it became um, you know back in the 70s and 80s uh, in response to the sexual revolution where it's standing against something that God uh, created as good but this is more about how do we prepare our hearts to be people who are called to be salt and light uh, this is not how do we avoid something, but how do we live for something better? And so th the struggle that, that I see in this passage is, uh, or not in this passage, but how we have approached this, is we've made this more about avoidance. And so the best way for men to avoid sexual temptation is to make sure that women are uh, not tempting us. And again, that's this passage puts all of the emphasis on the one uh, who is looking uh, lustfully, not on the one who is being looked at lustfully. And so we need to be careful that we're not uh, diminishing the actions of men under the guise of boys will be boys, but we're, we're up, you know, lifting up our men to have a higher calling in how they live. <clears throat> we're, we're called to be salt and light as a community, so what does that look like as we teach uh, men to treat women with respect, beginning with the, uh, in the privacy of their own homes, looking at their phones? How do we create a culture that, that teaches people to treat people as though they're beautiful um, creations of God, not to be used as objects? Um, so one of the things that I go to in this passage that I, I try to... Um, Whenever I talk to uh, men about struggles with pornography, uh, I go to Matthew chapter 12, and I think this is getting at the heart of Jesus's uh, teaching on this. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, there is a larger context here, but I think the imagery that Jesus is using is very powerful. Uh, starting in verse 43 in Matthew 12, Jesus says, When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes into arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied. It's swept clean and put in order, but still unoccupied. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it'll be with this wicked generation. And the imagery that Jesus is using in, in Matthew 12, I think, is, is getting to the heart of what um, this passage we're looking at in Matthew 5 is, is getting at. You can do all kinds of things to protect your outward appearances, uh, or even uh, for a time protect yourself from viewing uh, pornography or anything else that you're struggling with. You can put blocks on your uh, computer. You can uh, have an accountability person that checks in with you every day that can see what you look at. You can, you can do all kinds of stuff to get your house in order and get it clean and get everything organized. But the the question of Matthew 12 is, have you invited the Holy Spirit to fill your house? What are you filling your house with? Uh, if your house is just empty, but clean and in order, it's going to come back. And so the, the, the thing that Jesus is getting at is not how do you avoid um, 
sexual sin, but how do you fill yourself with the Spirit in such a way that, that pushes those things out and has no room for it? And so, you know, put the blockers in place, put the, you know, have the accountability in place, but what are you doing to, uh, to prepare your heart for transformation? And, and this is a passage about heart transformation. Um, this goes for toxic speech, uh, images of hate, scenes of diminished sexuality, graphic violence, etc. Uh, this isn't about just avoiding bad things, but it's about cultivating a heart that, that has goodness that comes out of it. How seriously do we consider uh, what our eyes and ears take in? You know, this isn't about the, the fear of hearing a curse word and then saying a curse word. This is about um, how do we engage in life in a way that, that springs the beauty of God within us. Um, so this is, this is something that we need to look at, that anything that dehumanizes a person and makes them an object for our enjoyment... Um, even if they agree to it, it's, it's unfit for a Christian to consume because it's toxic for the transformation of the heart. You know, if we cheapen sexuality, we, we miss out on the beauty of what, what God's created to be, and it's going to cause problems later. Uh, so this is, all, this is major about a, majorly about a heart issue, um, the, the passages on divorce, uh, I haven't said much about that, but, but there is, um, in, in the ancient world, men had all the power here. And so Jesus is correcting uh, an issue of abuse where women are cast aside, and, and he's, he's wanting us to preserve the sanctity of marriage and not, not just loosely get out of it. I think, um, again, these passages have been weaponized and abused at times, but there is something that we need to be cautious of, that the divorce rate amongst Christians is the same as the divorce rate amongst those outside of the church. And if we're people who uphold the sanctity of marriage, um, what does it mean to be a community that, that takes seriously marriage? that we surround people and help them through their problems um, long before it's even a discussion of divorce. But how are we helping each other? Men, how are you helping each other uh, love your wives better? Women, how are you helping each other love your husbands better? Um, what we tend to do is ignore each other's problems. And then we say, oh, I'll, I'll pray for you as you go through your uh, issues. Uh, if someone says they're going to marriage counseling, check in on them. Uh, if someone, if they're constantly struggling, you know, encourage counseling because counseling is a beautiful thing that helps people communicate better. Um, churches should be providing uh, opportunities for counseling and helping people um, navigate these things. I mean, how would it change the world if, if people in the church said, you know what, um, I love my church because I have a better marriage and we've worked through problems, and we're stronger because of our church. What kind of salt and light would that be for a world that throws away marriage flippantly? Um, 
that's the kind of community I would love for us to be. People can say, you know, I, I'm a better person because this community helps me be more like Jesus in my marriage. It helps me be more like Jesus in how I treat others. That That's an important thing for us to get to. Uh, so this is about heart transformation in our marriage, in the way we view one another, and how we cheapen uh, relationships uh, through flippancy and objectivity. So what are you doing this week to uh, cultivate transformation in your heart? Um, what protections do you need to put in place to keep you to be, to be more Christ-like? Uh, let's go and live the sermon together.